morning. It's good to see you. Glad that you are here. Welcome. This happens to be your first time. A very special welcome to you. Um, We are in this third week of our series on the book of Leviticus. We started out the first week, like we said, the 30,000 foot view, and then we brought it down to about 20,000 feet. Well, today we're getting into um, the first section, the first five chapters of the book of Leviticus that deal with the sacrifices or the offerings. They, those words are interchangeable in regard to this because um, a sacrifice was required and so it was brought forth as an offering. So when I mention, say the word offering, we, we view it as in, in regard to it being a sacrifice. Um, so the first five chapters of Leviticus deal with these offerings and it bleeds over a little bit into uh, chapter six, about a few verses into there as well, but mostly it's those five chapters. And we're going to look at five different offerings this morning. Uh, there's the burnt offering. There's, uh, well, well, we'll get into it. How about that? Instead of me just listing them over and over again. All right. So as always, uh, turn to Leviticus one, if you have your Bible, it'll be on the screen if not. And I encourage you to take notes. Uh, we'll be looking at Several different verses and uh, a few other kind of cross-references, if you will, uh, for you to write down and look at later. Okay, so let's jump right in. How about that? So the very first offering that is mentioned here in in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1, this is what uh, starts in verse 2. It talks about the burnt offering. The burnt offering was the offering. It was the one that uh, every other offering hinges on the burnt offering. Here's what it says, beginning in verse two, the Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle. Here's the the really, really important part of this. So you may be accepted by the Lord. So you may be accepted by the Lord. You bring the offering to be accepted by the Lord. So we know up front that there's a, a separation between God and people, and this is the first step, if you will, of acceptance in regard to the Levitical law in offerings and sacrifices. Something needed to happen in order to even be accepted by the Lord. Now, it goes into detail. We won't really go into these, but there are actually a few different kinds of burnt offerings. It just wasn't just one. There were different animals. There, there was... Um, from the herd, which verses three through nine deal with. So a herd would, you know, your cows, okay? That would be your your herd animals. Then when it talks about the flock in verses 10 through 13, that would be your sheep or your goats. And then it talks about birds in verses 14 through 17. So you're looking like turtle doves, pigeons, those kinds of animals. Um, and so the worshiper was supposed to bring this animal to the tent of meeting and, and there is this very symbolic moment that occurs. The worshiper, not the priest, the worshiper was supposed to lay their hand on the head of their sacrificial animal that they've brought, and then they were to kill the animal themselves, not the priest. They were to kill the animal themselves, and then once 
the blood goes, the priest would take some of the blood and sprinkle it on the altar, very symbolic. And then the worshiper, not the priest, would cut up portions of that animal and place it on the altar to be burned. Now, here is the, the, what, what the burnt offering teaches us, because I think that's what's important as we go and look at Old Testament instruction and Old Testament teaching is what does it teach us? I don't know if you were here when I said, but we, we need to view Leviticus through the cross because we're on the other side of it. What does it teach us? Well, verse three, we know that God accepts those who come to him with repentance. That someone who says, I've done wrong, I need to go before the Lord. You, you go and you, you bring an offering before the Lord so we know that God accepts those. Um, the very end of it, so that you may be accepted by the Lord. And what we know is that this offering atones for, covers, pays for what, what this worshiper has done. So it's covering for them. And so where there was separation, we kind of have that, that step into, okay, we can, re, we can maybe get this relationship back together, okay? Where we were separated, the first step, burnt offering, all right? It goes into so much more. Go and read this. Go and read this. Okay, so chapter two is the grain offering. It's the grain offering. And this is what it says about this. And some of the language will sound similar because, like I said, all the other offerings kind of hinge on how the, the burnt offering is set up. Verse 1, Leviticus 2. When you present grain as an offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of choice flour. All right, so with the burnt offering, you bring your best. If you were to present it, if you were taking your prized, I was going to say pig, but we know that doesn't work when we talk about Jewish law. So if you were to take your prized cow uh, to the state fair to get a blue ribbon, right, that's the cow you bring for the burnt offering. Right, it's the blue ribbon winner. You don't bring the one that's like, yeah, he, that one's not going to do anything. Let's go and let's go and sacrifice that. You bring the best. Same thing with the grain offering. You bring the best. You bring the best of what you have, and that's a check on us. That's a check on our intentions. That's a check on what do we bring to the Lord? How do we bring it to the Lord? That is an internal check that you and I can look at through the cross and go, Am I giving God my best? Am I giving him my best? Is he getting the best of what I have to offer? Because no, we don't live under that Levitical system anymore, but through the cross, we live on this side. Are we bringing our best? Are we giving our best? Are we even contemplating that fact? All right, so back to the grain offering. Bring the choice flour. Then it says you are to pour olive oil on it. We're getting hungry now. Sprinkle it with frankincense and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. Then the priest would scoop out a handful of flour moistened with oil together with all the frankincense and burn this representative portion on the altar. So differently from the burnt offering, burnt offering, everything's consumed. Grain offering, just a portion is consumed. It says it is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So we know that the Lord receives this. This is good. This is, this is reconnecting the relationship that's been broken by sin. So it's a pleasing offering to the Lord. Verse 3, the rest of the grain offering will then be given to Aaron and his sons. This offering will be considered a most holy part of the special gifts presented to the Lord. 
So very much like the burnt offering, someone accepted by God, so they've already participated in the burnt offering, would then bring their grain offering to the priest who would in turn offer it up on the same altar, offered up in smoke um, before the Lord. So the, the grain offering was the best. It was, it was from the, whatever agricultural produce they had. It was an act of thanksgiving for the sins that were forgiven from the burnt offering, the atonement that was made for the, from the burnt offering. All right, so the, the grain offerings partially consumed, rest given to the priest. All right, then there is, in chapter 3, the peace offering. The peace offering. This is what it says, verse 1. If you present an animal from the herd as a peace offering to the Lord, it may be a male or female, but it must have no defects. Lay your hand on the animal's head and slaughter it at the entrance of the tabernacle. Sounds a whole lot like the burnt offering, very much like the burnt offering. But unlike the other offerings, the peace offering is actually an optional offering. It's not a requirement to come before the Lord. It was a, it was, you would do this along with those other offerings, um, but it's not required. The peace, the peace offering, how it's different from some of the others, is that it would actually close with a meal. So you would bring your animal, again, one without defect, so blue ribbon winner, right? And you would bring this peace offering, and portion of it would be um, burned up, and then the actual, because you cut it into pieces after you've killed the animal. Some of, this, some of y'all are probably grossing out by this. I don't mean to, but... Um, some of it's burned up, but then the other portions, the priest and the worshiper, and actually the worshiper has friends and family can come along and they consume this. This was actually, so it's called the peace offering. It was a, it was an act of thanksgiving and praise for knowing that, that you are in right relationship with God. That, that's, that's the point of it is that, is that you're in right relationship with God. The peace offering of all of these offerings is um, very similar to how you and I live through the cross on this side of it all. This is the closest one that's similar to how we make our offering. When we talk about the offering, when we talk about uh, how we give financially, support the work of the church, like this is the closest connection that you can have. It's an overflow type offering. It's an overflow of God, you have blessed me. See, think about it like this, okay? You have, you know, you need to come and make a, a burnt offering, all right? A burnt offering, the first one. So you get your blue ribbon winner, and you bring it, and you go through the process of that uh, sacrifice, okay? But because of your your thankfulness to God and the overflow of what God has done, you don't just bring that blue ribbon winner, but you bring a second one. And you make this offering of your own free will, this peace offering, and you say, Lord, you have blessed me so much. Do you see the, the cost there? Do you see the sacrifice there? I mean, that's why it's called a sacrifice. I mean, it's there. It's, it's over and above. So this was, this was an, an offering of, of thanks. It was an offering of, God, you have given me so much. And, and so it, it's made in this way this peace offering. 
Um, okay, so, so we know this, hopefully, that the burnt offering was offered to God based on the scriptures for atonement, for atonement for our sins. It was totally burned up. The grain offering and the peace offering were responses to that atonement. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. This is thanksgiving and peace with God. And then in chapter four, we come upon the sin offering. The sin offering. Chapter four is the sin offering. Chapter five is gonna be the guilt offering. And they, they sound very similar. Um, they're very closely connected. But here's what occurs in the sin offering in chapter four. First thing to know, just because information, uh, Leviticus 4 is the longer, longest of all the other chapters. It's actually as long as um, chapters 1, 2, and 3 combined. So it's the sin offering. And I think there's a good reason for that because this is the, this is the whole reason we have to do these things. Sin is the problem. Now, this is what it says in verses 1 and 2 of Leviticus 4. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. This is how you are to deal with those who sin unintentionally by doing anything that violates one of the Lord's commands. So I don't know if you've picked up on this. You might not have because I have said the word sin already this morning. But the significance here, there's a significance between the sin offering and the other offerings. In the other offerings so far, the relationship between sin and sacrifice has just been assumed. It's just been assumed that that's what's going on. The word atonement is used in verse four of chapter one. It says it will be accepted on your behalf uh, to make atonement for you. It's just assumed that sin has occurred. But now in Leviticus four, it's like, no, this is a sin offering. This is about sin. It's a clear reference to it. And it's clear. It's very clear. If you sin... You need a sacrifice. If you sin, you need a sacrifice. That is the clear teaching of this. If you sin, you need a sacrifice. It's true in Leviticus. It's true now. Here's the deal, though. When the sin offering in Leviticus was brought, and this is why it's so like daunting to think about. When the sin offering was brought, that sacrifice was sufficient for that sin and that sin alone. Just that sin and that sin alone. You see where this is going? Do you see how often you would have to make these sacrifices? And this is about unintentional sin. It speaks specifically about that. So, so and then you, what you hope for or what you know is that there is a day of atonement that happens once a year and it, kind of, it covers all those sins that you forgot to come and take care of. All right? So if you sin, you need a sacrifice. But my goodness, over and over and over again, yes. Because God's holy, we're not. So we have the burnt offering, we have the grain offering, the peace offering. Here we see the sin offering, which is directly addressing it. And then it moves into the burnt offering, which is in chapter five, a little bit of chapter six. And this is specifically about how do we respond to recognizing our unintentional sin, which is really interesting to me because we live in a culture 
where if you didn't mean to do something wrong, then you shouldn't have to deal with the consequences of doing wrong. It's kind of like, oh, my bad, you know. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say even our unintentional sin must be dealt with. In fact, this whole offering is built upon the fact that we need to be aware of the times that we unintentionally sin against God and others. Because this is where the guilt offering really moves into. It's not just our sin against God, but our sin against others. And how do we make restitution for that? Leviticus chapter five, verse five. When you become aware of your guilt in any of these ways, you must confess your sin. Now, any of these ways is a whole lot of verses that we're not covering this morning. But go and read it because it is a long list. And it's like, okay, here's the standard. And if you are aware that you are guilty of, of messing this up, of, of, of not doing what you should or doing what you shouldn't have done, right? You must confess your sin. And so the guilt offering, it, and this is, we, let's view this through the cross. What the guilt offering did then, and we need to see it here now today, is that it causes the individual to look beyond the sin itself and, and to look at what damage has it done beyond that. Like what, what are the repercussions for my sin? What are the results? What are the continuing results? Because we can bring a sacrifice in Leviticus, bring a sacrifice before the Lord and take it care of, but how has it harmed a relationship? Has it harmed a kid? Is there something that needs to be fixed? This is what the guilt offering is dealing with. I said this several weeks ago in a message, but I, there, is, there is no way that you and I sin that doesn't cause harm to the people around us whether it's the people we love, the people we are in relationship with, the people who we work with. I mean, it, it can go on and on and on. They're, they're even like people you don't know, but your sin affects them. Verse five, chapter five. When you become aware of your guilt in any of these ways, you must confess your sin. So we look beyond the sin itself and to the damage it's done. With the guilt offering, Here's what would happen. The person not only sought forgiveness through the sin offering, right? But they also paid full restitution to those whom they harmed. If you can put a price on it, you paid for it. And not only did you pay for it, but you actually might even pay a percentage, an upgrade, interest. So when you hurt others, when you harmed others, it came with a cost. You make your offering before the Lord, but you also end up making restitution. And it was often a monetary way to, to measure that. Um, where the sin offering, again, kind of a side note, but I think it's very interesting. Um, where the sin offering, right? The fourth offering, it primarily deals with, looks at, addresses the first five commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make an idol. 
Uh, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother because that was a, you could almost say, well, where does, how does that fit in there? But, but God has placed father and mothers over children. It's a, it's a like image of God, you know. So those five, that's a sin offering. But now you go into the guilt offering and then you look at, at the other five commandments. Because the other five commandments, you see now how it actually, it, it, affects other people directly. You will have, excuse me, you will not murder. You will not commit adultery. You'll not steal. You will not bear false witness. You will not covet, all right? This is all about other people. This is where we see the guilt offering really come into effect because our sin affects others. Now, with all of these things, with all of these offerings and all of this, um, As I've been reading and I've been studying and I've been reading other words that people a lot smarter than me have have written on this and and I've been working on these messages for this series, I keep going back to a question and I'm sure I've posed it in the previous two weeks, but I'll say it again. Why? 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 Why all these sacrifices? Why all these rules? Why did God set all of this up? Why this this whole system? And it had to be repeated over and over and over again, whether it was every day or even just like the Day of Atonement, every year. Why, why, why? Here's the, the, the very best answer I can, I can find, and it's consistent throughout Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, it is consistent, this answer. God is holy God is gracious, and God wants to be in relationship with us. We look at Leviticus and go, why did they have to go through all that stuff? Let me tell you, the people in Leviticus are going, wow, God is holy. We've really messed up. I will do whatever it takes. God, you are gracious to us to give us the law from Leviticus. You are gracious to us to show us the commandments and give them to Moses and to teach us this. You are gracious to give us these laws and rules and codes that keep us healthy and safe and set apart and, 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 and you know, removed from the world so that our focus is on you and not on idols and false gods and all this other junk. You are gracious to us. That's how we should view Leviticus. It is an example of the grace of God. Is it detailed? Yes. Is it involved? Yes. But it was grace, friends. It was grace. And it's all because he wants to be in relationship with his people. So all the Levitical laws and the regulations and the sacrifices and the details pre-Jesus are evidence of his graciousness to them. And not only were these sacrifices a way at least to temporarily be cleansed from sin, but this I think is very important. God wants us to recognize when we sin. He wants us to know, not in a, you know, browbeating, yell at you, finger pointing, you know, fire and brimstone way, but in a way that says, I'm aware that God is holy and yet I have made choices and decisions and I have acted in such a way or not acted in such a way 
and it, it does not reflect God. Or, or he can have nothing to do with it because he is so holy. He wants us to recognize that. Because if we don't, then we go about our business thinking, I'm, I'm doing real good. My, my choices and actions don't affect anybody else. But he wants us to recognize this. He wants us to be aware of our sin, not so we feel bad, but so that we choose his ways. Because his ways are the best ways. He wants us to choose his ways. He, he wants us to choose a life that honors him, that glorifies him, that witnesses to his goodness over and above our own lives. And so when you look at Leviticus, we, we go, okay, without a clear, without a semi-clear understanding of all of that, how else would we know that there's a God and he's holy and there, that, that there's a system by which we can draw close to him? Because how tempting would it be, how tempting is it to assume that we are gods of our own lives and we get to choose good and evil. We get to decide what we call right and what we call wrong. And friends, that is, that's the very sin that started it all. Oh, I'm like God. That's where it all started. There are, there are so many details of each of these sacrifices that we just can't get into. So I will say it again. I encourage you to go and read this. But I hope that you hear this. Don't miss the main point. We need a sacrifice. We need a sacrifice. We need it. That's the point of Leviticus chapters one through five. A sacrifice was necessary for them to be able to approach God. Well, viewing it all through the cross, friends, Jesus is our sacrifice. He is that sacrifice that we need. He is. He paid the penalty for our sin. He is. John the Baptist, when he was doing his ministry, you know, he was the forerunner. He was setting all this up for Jesus. And he pointed to Jesus when he saw him and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Did you hear what I said? The lamb of God who takes away the sin, not of that one person, or even like a day of atonement type offering for all the people for the next year. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus made one sacrifice, one, one sacrifice for all the sins, all the people for all time. That is profound in light of Leviticus. The Levitical sacrifices pointed to, they merely, they were just pointers. They were all just like, this is what it's kind of gonna look like, the ultimate sacrifice. I 
as um, I've been encouraging you as we're reading Leviticus to read Hebrews, read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And this is why I want to share with you a couple of verses and, and the band will come back out as I'm reading these and we're going to continue in, in our worship this morning, our act of praise. But here are these verses out of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse one. Think about this in light of Levit- Leviticus. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Down to verse eight. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Verse 10, for God's will. Hear this, people of God. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, may we see the sacrifice of Jesus in new light today because our sin was deep but your grace was deeper our shame was wide but your arms are wider our guilt was great your love is greater still may we search our hearts and our minds for those sins intentional and unintentional And may we confess them to you. And may we praise you and thank you for the forgiveness and new life that you bring to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray and worship. Amen.